This program is made possible by the members of the show. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Saturday Night Live, the BBC News Quiz, On the Media, The Bugle, The Onion, Ring of Fire, Citizen Radio, and The Daily Show, with a bonus video clip today for our iPhone app users from The Young Turks. It's been a tough few weeks for the Catholic Church as allegations of abuse and cover-ups continue to surface from around the world. Here now to comment, the devil. Hey, thanks for having me, Seth. Yeah, it's good to have you. Did you, uh, did you get that rash I sent you? No. No. Oh, well, you will. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you will. But you're gonna have fun getting it, so. Uh, All right. Okay. There you go. All right, hey, gang. So look, everybody, uh, I'm the devil. So you look, I, I love evil, all right? It's my thing. And when bad things happen, no one is happier than this guy, okay? But priests messing with kids? No, no, that, that crosses the line. That's just sick. Oh, so you're actually offended by the scandal. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What bothers me, Seth, is the hypocrisy of it all, okay? I'm the devil. What you see is what you get, okay? I rock the cape. I got the horns. I got the big salad fork, all right? You know me. You know me, you know the score, all right? But a priest, you're supposed to be able to trust a priest. The whole thing just bums me out. Well, uh, you know, I got to say, you seem upset. Yeah, you know, I am. And to make matters worse, a spokesman... <laughs> A spokesman for the Vatican said that this was all the devil's work. No, 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 no. Look, look, look. I do plagues, okay? I do earthquakes. I do all the training for Walgreens cashiers, all right? <laughs> but I don't do no cover-up for child molesters, man, okay? I can't wait for these priests to show up on my turf, okay? We literally have a special place in hell for them. Oh, yeah, where's that? Oh, it's awful. It's awful. It's a, it's a little bit further away from the elevator, you know, so that's inconvenient <laughs> as hell. Yeah. All right. And, uh, and they all have to share one bathroom. Yeah, which is uh, always out of paper towels. Yeah. I mean, it's hell, you know, so it's all pretty bad. Yeah. So uh, what happens when these priests get to hell? Good question. Uh, they get registered, first thing. Uh, one of the things I'm uh, proudest of in my time as devil, which is eternity, uh, is, the, uh, <laughs> is the passing of Damien's Law which requires any sex offender priest to register when he comes to hell. Because even demons and gargoyles have the right to know who they're living with. It's very nice. It's a good rule. Yeah, thank you. Now, Vatican spokespeople say these accusations about the Pope's conduct are just petty gossip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, how about that, huh? That's something, isn't it? You know, I always thought that gossip was supposed to be fun, you know? Gossip is normally stuff like, uh, Hey, did you hear how drunk Tracy from reception got last night? It's not, you know, did you hear who was molested? Thousands of kids. <laughs> really water cooler talk, okay? Much less holy water cooler talk. Yeah, this guy. Yeah, no. So, yeah. so what do you think the church should do? All right, well, protect its children's, not its priests. Look, Seth, most priests in the, in the church, you know, are upstanding, devout men. I, I won't argue that. But they need to do a better job stopping the creepy ones. I mean, if someone, uh, anyone, ever touched a hair on my son's head, I would go crazy. Oh, I'm sorry, who's your son? Uh, the TMZ guy. Do, do people not know that? Yeah, I don't think officially, but no. now that you say it, it totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so what's next for you? Well, you know, I'm going to do what I do, you know, right. just keep whispering in people's ears to promote the worldwide spread of evil. Uh, you know, I still got my modeling career posing for hot sauce bottle labels. Uh, oh, 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 and we're starting prep work for the uh, second season of Jersey Shore, so look out for that. Um, well, look, man, you know, thank you for being here. Oh, that's nice. I, you know, I don't get that very often. All right. Well, the devil, everybody. Right. Don't play with me because you're playing with fire. This episode is being sponsored by Audible. They're the world's largest resource for downloadable audio content like books, periodicals, premium podcasts, and more. For a limited time until June 30th, Audible is offering listeners of this show a free audiobook download of your choice. It's a pretty good deal. Simply visit audiblepodcast.com slash best. That's audiblepodcast.com slash best. Miles. 
Charles, why might the Pope's visit to Britain warrant special attention? Well, it's not, not been a fun week, I dare say, in Vatican City. There's probably been some fairly awkward silences at breakfast. Um, <laughs> Very unfortunate manner, some of the priests. <laughs> but, uh, yes, he's, uh, he's coming over here, and people would like to see the Pope arrested because of a letter that he wrote a few years ago, uh, mainly uh, Richard Dawkins, the uh, purveyor of uh, atheist merchandising, and um, Christopher Hitchens, who wrote, God is not great, I am. Um, <laughs> They, um, they want to arrest the Pope, which seems, I mean, an extraordinary thing to attempt to do. I mean, it, I shouldn't imagine either of them have attempted an arrest before. For your first arrest, I would say that is a pretty big <laughs> target. I, I would probably sort of practice on a nun. It's not going to be that up. quick because of the robes, though, is yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> It'll be an amazing line-up, won't it? So number three, step forward, please. <laughs> oh, that hat is familiar. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, but uh, lots of people have got excited about the possibility of arresting the Pope in a bandwagon-esque way. Libby Purvis wrote uh, an article in the Times that said, uh, arrest the Pope. I rather think we should, as if someone had suggested perhaps a few games of charades after dinner. <laughs> I just would love to see the Pope in the dock entering a defence of infallibility. <laughs> They are amazing, the Vatican, though, because you'd think at a time like this they'd be making some slight efforts to mm. modify their critics. And instead, that man Cardinal Bertoni came out and said that paedophilia was uh, synonymous with homosexuality. Thinking the best thing to do when you're in a hole is keep digging. Really. <laughs> so far, the, the Vatican have blamed the media, the Jews, gays, the devil and the Irish. Mm. Um, <laughs> and apparently bookmakers are now offering two to one that John Terry or Ashley Cole are next. <laughs> Oh, the devil, that was the uh, official Vatican exorcist, wasn't it? Yeah. But this guy, they, they interviewed him. Um, it, it's, I have to say, it is an official post. He is the Vatican exorcist. He's at the end of the corridor next to human resources. <laughs> and he said, uh, they said, what happens when you exorcise people? He said, well, it's stuff usually flies out of their mouths. And he said, I, I exorcised a woman who worked in the media the other day, and radio equipment started flying out of her mouth. <laughs> and you think, well, that's extraordinary. I mean, yeah. do Dixons know about this? <laughs> He wrote a, a letter recently, the Pope, saying the Catholic Church needed to modernise, and it was in Latin. <laughs> <laughs> Renowned atheist Richard Dawkins and journalist Christopher Hitchens have consulted lawyers to see whether the Pope can be arrested for crimes against humanity when he visits Britain. Pope Benedict plans to visit Britain in the autumn when he will beatify Cardinal John Henry Newman and visit Alton Towers. <laughs> But I feel like I have to Or at least accept it To be accepted by you So tell me about your freedom Cause you know I'd like to hear All of the hate you keep between your ears So when that phone's ringing And I'm on the line You can bet your last life I'll be free from your lies And I can see through your lies And I'll remind you of this Before you scold me That Jesus loved Judas And that's my story at the Vatican, in his own Easter message, Pope Benedict also did not discuss the sex abuse cover-up controversy swirling around the Catholic Church. But this holiday comes three days after a Vatican preacher likened criticism of the Pope's leadership to attacks on Jews before the Holocaust. Good Friday kicked off yet another decidedly bad week for the Catholic Church this year. A hebdomous horribilis, if you will. During Mass at St. Peter's Basilica, the preacher to the papal household compared criticism of the church over its handling of abuse allegations to the historical persecution of Jews. He later apologized, but that didn't stop a senior cardinal at the Vatican from referring on Easter Sunday to media coverage of the scandals as, quote, petty gossip. John Allen Jr. is a senior correspondent with the National Catholic Reporter. He reminds us that's not all that went wrong for the church last week. 
Well, you know, in the news business, we say that a story has legs if fresh developments uh, keep it alive. And the truth is, this story has more legs than a centipede. In just the last week, I mean, what we've seen uh, is, first of all, a rash of senior church officials, including Vatican cardinals, who have in one way or another gone on record suggesting that there is a media campaign against the Pope. We have seen a Catholic bishop in Norway who has been forced to resign after admitting that he sexually abused an altar boy 20 years ago. We have seen two cases of priests from the United States who were credibly accused of sexual abuse. Their cases ended up in the Vatican, and either nothing happened or it took so long for something to happen that critics are suggesting that it's effectively meaningless. We have a growing conversation in England among certain human rights groups who are actually proposing that when Benedict arrives in the UK in September that he ought to be served with an arrest warrant under the principle of universal jurisdiction for his alleged role in a global conspiracy to protect pedophile priests. We have also seen an announcement from a group of sexual abuse victims, including two of the victims who met with uh, Benedict when he was in the United States in 2008, announcing plans effectively to lead a march on Rome in October. Their idea is to bring some 50,000 victims of sexual abuse directly to St. Peter's Square in order to, more or less, drop this problem on the Pope's doorstep. And the Pope is right at the center of a lot of the controversy, as he has been for a good part of his papacy. Take me a trip down that bad memory lane. Uh, it's been a rocky road, Bob, for sure. I mean, we can wind the clock back to 2006 when the Pope gave a speech at Regensburg in Germany, which infuriated Muslim opinion around the world when he appeared to link the Prophet Muhammad with violence. A couple of years ago, uh, there was a case in which he lifted the excommunications of four traditionalist Catholic bishops, including one who was a Holocaust denier. That, of course, caused an explosion in Catholic-Jewish relations. Uh, last March, while the Pope was on the way to Africa on the papal plane, uh, he made a comment to the effect that condoms actually make the problem of AIDS worse. That, too, triggered a cause celeb. In fact, among other things, the Spanish government shipped off a million condoms to Africa in protest. Now, strictly speaking, the Pope is not supposed to be a politician measuring his every word, but as a practical matter, he is a political figure on the world stage. And I guess looking at it you know, as cold-bloodedly as I can, he's kind of a, for a politician, a PR disaster. I think you could probably take kind of out of that sentence and be a little closer to the truth. I mean, look, the, the practical reality is, first of all, culturally speaking, the Vatican thinks in centuries, which means it is not crafting its decisions on the basis of today's headlines, and it doesn't think about communication strategy the way that other institutions do. Add to that the fact that the present Pope, Benedict XVI, is an academic. I mean, he is much more given to the life of the mind than he is to playing on the world stage. And then I think third, whenever there is a perception that the Pope is under attack, there is a kind of genetic instinct in the Catholic world to sort of circle the wagons and, and protect the boss. You know, you wrap those three things up together, and they are quite often a prescription for seeming terribly tone deaf about how to project a positive message for the church. All right. Now, I, I also don't want to trivialize the horror of child abuse by suggesting that it's somehow just a PR matter for the church. But what strikes me about this latest outburst of scandal is that Pope Benedict has really been at the forefront of the reform in the church's behavior with respect to child abuse allegations. To say the least, the church has squandered whatever political capital it has gained by him, you know, at long last after centuries dealing with this problem forthrightly. You've put your finger on what is, for me, the central irony of this storyline, which is that really from 2001 forward, there is no figure at the senior level of the Catholic Church who has done more to promote an aggressive response to the problem of sexual abuse by clergy than the present pope. I mean, when he was still Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger in charge of the Vatican's response to this crisis, he is the guy who kick-started the wheels of justice into motion to remove predator priests from the priesthood. As pope, he is 
the first pope ever to meet with victims. He is the first pope ever to apologize in his own name for the crisis. He is the first pope who sort of broke the Vatican's wall of silence. And in effect, he has embraced a zero tolerance policy. And yet you're quite right that that story has really dropped out of sight amid coverage of the cases that have recently come to light because the response from church officials, not just the Vatican, but certainly including the Vatican, has created a public impression of kind of denial and finger pointing at the media, which makes it really impossible for them to successfully mount any kind of defense of the way that the Pope has responded to this. You know, I have to ask you, if it is indeed obvious that for truth and reconciliation to take place, first you have to have truth, because in the eyes of the church, the Pope is infallible, it somehow becomes ecclesiastically impossible to acknowledge that he may have in his record some degree of culpability? Well, here, Bob, I think you have to distinguish between official Catholic theology and popular Catholic psychology. In terms of the official theology, a pope is infallible only when he teaches definitively in union with all the bishops of the world on matters of faith or morals. So, you know, when a pope says there are three persons in the Trinity, that is presumed to be infallible. But that writ of infallibility doesn't mean that every judgment call he makes is somehow protected from error. And in fact, you know, when popes come up for sainthood, the Vatican will routinely say that declaring a pope a saint is not the same thing as ratifying every policy choice during his pontificate. So in principle, there would be no impediment to acknowledging managerial or administrative mistakes. But in terms of popular Catholic psychology, I think that's the bridge that has yet to be crossed. I think what happened eight years ago when this crisis erupted in the United States, and you may remember that in the first wave of commentary from bishops here in the States, There was a tendency to deny that anything had gone wrong, to minimize the crisis, and to blame the media for bringing it up in the first place. And on the back of hard experience, bishops and other church officials had to learn a new vocabulary for talking about how the church corporately had failed and was in need of reform. That bridge has been crossed. What they don't yet have is a similar vocabulary for talking about the mistakes of a pope. That, I think, is precisely the learning curve that the Catholic Church is on at the moment. The the, the real question, the drama of all this is, are they going to complete that learning curve in time to dig themselves out from this mess, or at the end, is it going to be too little too late? The, uh, the volcano is blowing towards Italy, Andy, and it could be that even the Earth's core is angry with the Vatican this week. <laughs> it's the equivalent of spitting in its face. Uh, there, this is not an easy time to be a Catholic. Interesting, because when the... They do the, the smoke thing, don't they, when the... When the... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so maybe this, this volcano is basically <laughs> saying, resign, new resign. Pope. <laughs> new Pope, please. <laughs> I think I've made my, my points. It, there really hasn't been a harder time to be a Catholic, Andy, since the Romans routinely used them as lion treats. Uh, apparently they were delicious, tasted a bit of tuna. You can make a lion roll over and beg for one if you use them as a reward. <laughs> now, not, not that there's ever honestly really been a particularly easy time to be a Catholic. Uh, their entire life is built upon a foundation of unremitting guilt. But usually that guilt is, is self-imposed and basically unnecessary. At least time they really have something to be guilty about. Although, although the new scandals need not test the faith in God of devout Catholics, their faith in their own church as an institution is in need of some serious structural repair over the last month. New documents have further linked the Pope to the massive cover-up of child abuse in the Catholic Church. This time his signature is on a letter denying the excommunication of a paedophile priest and asking for the good of the church to be taken into consideration before making any similar decisions. It's hard to know 
how to even approach reacting to news like this, Andy. You can put your head underwater in the bath and scream at the top of your lungs. You can set up an elaborate mechanism that results in a foam sledgehammer swinging from the <laughs> ceiling and smashing you in the balls. You could even train a seal to slap you repeatedly across the face. But to be honest, none of it is going to make you feel any better. <laughs> to put it in the mildest, most respectful terms possible, that is some low-grade poping, Andy. <laughs> low-grade yeah, I mean, some senior Catholics have called for stronger action from the Pope, including uh, sweeping reforms, reforms that really address uh, certain fundamental issues of uh, of uh, Catholicism, including asking priests not to abuse children. But that, that seems to be a step too far, John. But a step too far. Spare a thought for the many priests, in fact, the most priests, who have not been abusing children all this time. They have been betrayed too. In fact, feelings are running so high among priests that one US priest has even called for the Pope to resign. Now, obviously, the chances of this happening are absolutely zero. A Pope hasn't resigned since Celestine V, who resigned because he didn't really want to be Pope anymore. <laughs> Nothing more complicated than that, just <laughs> reaching the head of the Catholic Church, getting the job of being God's messenger upon Earth, and thinking, ah, not for me, this. Not for me. It's not the Turns out this, this isn't really my thing. It's not the Beyond Borg of... Uh, <laughs> exactly. Of exactly. <laughs> Getting there was the, was the important thing. Once you're there, it's boring. <laughs> In fact, Celestine was later placed by the poet Dante behind one of his gates of hell. That That's just what happens to someone who merely doesn't really want to be Pope anymore, <laughs> let alone someone who was complicit in a child molestation scandal. <laughs> now, another reason the Pope will not be resigning is, of course, the Pope's infallible. It's physic He's physically incapable of doing anything wrong, even if he tries really hard, which this time he clearly has. <laughs> Only God can fire the Pope, Andy, by killing him. It's the <laughs> ultimate way to be sacked. I think the only consolation for people hungry for justice at the moment is that the Pope, as you, as you alluded to, will probably not be able to win the next papal election. <laughs> Un unless, unless Ratzinger stages one of the most spectacular come-from-behind victories of all time. Something about incumbents, Andy, that the Vatican notoriously hates. <laughs> well, elsewhere... Uh, amongst uh, Catholics, the reaction has been a mixture of horror, deep sadness, with some absolutely unforgivable batshit craziness <laughs> thrown in there too. Bill O'Donoghue, and he went on Larry King uh, last week. Larry King, who incidentally uh, is getting his eighth divorce, it's been announced this week, which must make the Pope very angry indeed. <laughs> Much angrier, it seems, than the systemic problems his church has. <laughs> and and uh, Bill Donoghue said this. He said... You've got to get your facts straight. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm the only one that's going to deal with facts tonight. So be it. The vast majority of the victims are post-pubescent. That's not paedophilia, buddy. That's homosexuality. <laughs> Andy, I never thought it would be possible to say this sentence out loud, but you are making your child molestation scandal worse. <laughs> The church is clearly going to have to make some rapid changes. Some argue they may need to take a serious look at their policy of enforcing celibacy on their priests. But again, that seems unlikely to happen. As Cardinal Bertoni, the Vatican Secretary of State, said, many psychologists, many psychiatrists have demonstrated that there is no relationship between celibacy and paedophilia. But many others have demonstrated, I was told recently, that there is a relationship between homosexuality and paedophilia. You. <laughs> That's a, this really, it's really not about Catholics, this Andy. This is about some total assholes who <laughs> call themselves Catholic. What the f is wrong with them? They're just going to carry on doubling down on bigotry. <laughs> Luckily, though, Andy, there is a good side right. to this. At least there's a, a glimmer of hope here, and that is that the Catholic Church have honourably been bold enough to enforce one major change, forgiving the Beatles. <laughs> this week they announced in a press statement, it's true, the Beatles took drugs, swept up by their success, they lived dissolute and uninhibited lives. They even said they were more famous than Jesus. But listening to their songs, all of this seems distant and meaningless. Their beautiful melodies, which, <laughs> which change forever pop music and still give us emotions, live on like precious jewels. That's, that's lovely. Now deal with your f***ing paedophile problem. Hi, 
everyone. Now, running this podcast is an absolute passion of mine that I've been pursuing for years. But of course, everyone understands that it takes a little bit of money to get along in this world. And that's where the members come in. Members sign up and donate as little as $5 a month, which allows me to pump out 10 episodes per month now. So while you're thinking about that and rationalizing that little expense, just realize it breaks down to only 50 cents per episode. And it's even less if you sign up for a full year. And beyond that, in return, you get access to a set of members-only raw feeds. And these deliver audio plus video clips from the show, as well as a separate feed just for bonus content that would otherwise end up on the cutting room floor. So for details, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks for your support. It's the Onion Radio News. The Catholic Church condemns metrosexuality. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Metrosexuality, the trend of heterosexual men emulating the aesthetics of homosexual men, will now be strictly prohibited under a newly revised Catholic doctrine. Vatican spokesman Joaquin Navarro made the change in church law official this morning at a news conference in Rome. The devout Catholic must remain on the path toward salvation, no matter how good he'd look in an Armani pullo. The gay activist group ACT UP responded to the ban by stating that that metrosexuality is so 2003. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job, and you just pray for them. I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. Top story this week, Volcano News Part Duh. <laughs> what a sequel. For, for, for a start, Andy, I'm absolutely amazed that this bugle is even happening. I yeah. was sure that you were either going to be covered in ash or that you'd have thrown yourself into the volcano as a human sacrifice <laughs> to appease its fury. That was literally the only two options I could envisage. I did that, John. And the amazing thing is, it worked, and I lived to tell the tale. Well, that is amazing. <laughs> on Every single counts involved right. there. Thousands of travellers are still stuck in airports around the world, presumably living on a diet of expensive bad sandwiches, Cinnabon rolls and smoothies, unless they're in Italian airports, in which, in which case they'll be eating magnificently. <laughs> Well, what's uh, a Cinnabon roll? Cinnabon. Cinnabon. Yeah, it's Cinnabon. It's like a, it's a it's cinnamon roll chain. Right. In airports. Oh, I but see. They right. call it Cinnabon. Right, if you'd the watched the film The Love Guru, Andy, <laughs> right, yeah, you'd I've, have seen it prominently. I've got it stored up, John. Still, <laughs> I'm just summoning up the courage. I just want to make sure that our friendship is strong enough. The to withstand intestinal it. fortitude <laughs> to know I can handle it. Yeah, it's very wise. <laughs> Uh, it, it may well be that uh, some buglers are even listening uh, to this still stuck in airports. So, you know, if so, a special hello to you. And I hope you've either bought or successfully shoplifted one of those inflatable neck pillows sometime earlier in the week. <laughs> the volcano almost completely shut down European airspace uh, for the whole of last week, Andy, costing the airline industry an estimated $1.7 billion. And the airline industry is now apparently seeking compensation from the governments who shut their airports down. <laughs> what? Are they doing that as a joke, Andy? They are aware that a f***ing volcano erupted, aren't they? <laughs> the International Air Transportation Association said airspace was being closed based on theoretical models, not on facts. This industry does not want or need bailouts, but this crisis is not the result of running our businesses badly. Look, this is no one's fault. A f***ing volcano erupted. <laughs> the only thing you can realistically do in this situation is sue the volcano. And if that's going to happen, then the Earth may well want to get itself a good lawyer, because the airlines are going to go in hard. And just behind them will be Indonesia, the city of New Orleans, Bangladesh, Armenia, and many others who've been hurt by the Earth's so-called natural disasters. But what you don't want to happen there is for the Earth to then counter-sue us for humanity squatting without a lease, demanding back rent, and then prosecuting us for criminal damage and theft of natural resources. Actually, do you know what? Come to think of it, we might want to just let this whole volcano thing slide, because we have quite a list of tenancy infractions. 
Well, you say no one's to blame, John, but you would not necessarily know that from the media, John, who've been throwing blame around like a 95-year-old woman who accidentally entered a professional wrestling competition. <laughs> um, and uh, amongst those blamed, Gordon Brown has been blamed by his political opponents. But, right. you know, I mean, understandably, you know, he's caught an election. Yeah. Volcano goes off. Yeah. Can it just be coincidence? <laughs> Other people have been blaming the Wright brothers. Uh, right. for dangling the carrot of powered flight before our eyes when they knew full well a single volcano could ground our species <laughs> for good. Uh, the people of Iceland, they've also been blamed because they've had a volcano problem for hundreds, thousands of years, John, and they still haven't really done anything to sort it out. What, like know. shoved a cork in it? Yeah. You know, you'd have thought they'd have at least made an effort. Yeah. And um, uh, Obama's health care bill, that was also blamed. Can you guess who blamed... who... who uh, who uh, said the volcano was a response? Was it Rush Limbaugh. It Andy. was, John. There you go. <laughs> one for one. <laughs> Bit of an odd response, you'd have to say. If, that, if, it, if the volcano is a response to the healthcare bill being passed, to temporarily strand mostly non-American people, or affect the holiday plans of Americans who are clearly well off enough to fly to Europe, and therefore not really the poor who are unjustly benefiting from this bill. Uh, others even have blamed uh, the volcano, indeed volcanoes in general, on homosexuals, <laughs> which... Um, which... What is the <laughs> rationale there, Andy? What I is the I, link there? I, I'm not a geologist, John. I can't, I can't say one way or the other. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not qualified. <laughs> I have to ask my brother did a geology degree. Maybe he knows. Yeah. Although he's uh, he's not a homosexual, so um, you know he only knows half of the story, I guess. Yeah, I don't think he's fully qualified maybe to say then. Maybe it's the mining of gold lame that shunts the Earth's magma slightly out of kilter and uh, forces it to volcano out all over the shop. I, I think know. without an uh, an unforced full confession from a homosexual, then <laughs> I just don't think this stands. Although there was there was another great piece of blame from a Hodjat Ola-Eslam Kazim Siddiqui, the acting Friday prayer leader in Tehran, uh, who blamed non-blanketed women for natural disasters <laughs> such as the volcano, going on to say, many women who do not dress modestly lead young men astray and spread adultery in society, which increases earthquakes. <laughs> what? Andy, That's a pretty was, vigorous adultery going on. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. I didn't even think of that. I was technically following his his train of logic until the leap from adultery to earthquakes. I'm not saying I agreed with any of it, but I could see where his mind was going. And now I just can't stop thinking about what the next step in that chain of thought would be. <laughs> Women who do not dress modestly lead young men astray and spread adultery in society, which increases earthquakes, which can shake milk into a thicker substance, giving us the Dairy Queen strawberry cheesequake, which gives us stomachaches, which angers God, who makes tornadoes, that transport girls and their dogs to magic kingdoms where they must go with a tin man, a lion and a scarecrow to find their way home. And that is why women need to cover up. Thank you, Tehran, <laughs> and good night. I'm out of here! <laughs> it is a shame, though, that um, the volcanoes are not caused by homosexuals, if we mm. may make that assumption. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's a safe assumption to Because make. it would make it a lot easier to predict... When they're going to go off, you just have to monitor the build-up of homosexuals, and as soon as <laughs> that build-up becomes critical, you just evacuate the area until, also, uh, until they've burnt themselves out. I would imagine if volcanoes were controlled by homosexuals, then homosexuals would have used them a lot more in the past under their constant persecution. Any time anyone said something rampantly homophobic, it would be very tempting to go, I'm just going to f***ing shoot a volcano at you now. <laughs> Chris, whose who's fault is the volcano? Well, I'm inclined to think it's homosexuals. <laughs> right, there we um, go. I've, I've been reading to a lot of reliable news sources <laughs> recently. Um, it's, yeah, it's good to get it from, uh, you know, a, a wide variety of sources, Chris. <laughs> Father, can you hear me? How have I let you down? I curse the day that I was born. And all the sorrow. Pope Benedict announced this week that he would be meeting with the families of victims who had been abused by church leaders. This was the result of numerous recent complaints coming from parishioners from all over the world. But the current problem in the Catholic Church stems 
from the way that the church has been operating for decades. Information is suppressed. Dissenting views are discouraged. Feminine power is oppressed, and the truth is kept secret from the world. Joining me now to talk about some of the institutional roots of the current scandal and, and to predict, make some predictions about what the future of the church is, is James Carroll, author of Constantine's Sword and Practicing Catholic and many, many other books. Thank you so much for joining us on Ring of Fire, Jim. Thanks, thanks Bobby. It's uh, good to be with you. Now you know, um, I, you know Rick Santorum, who was the who was the very right wing kind of I guess fundamentalist to the extent that you can call the Catholics can be fundamentalists, but fundamentalist Catholic senator from Pennsylvania used to say during about the pedophile scandal that it was the result of of liberal attitudes from the 1960s, and I saw that canard uh, repeated by the Vatican spokesman last week who blamed yeah. it on that. And, and to me, it's always seemed that um, it was really more of a right-wing phenomena. The, the, the term fascism means a bundle of sticks. And fundamentalism is, is essentially a kind of religious fascism. And what it essentially, the, the essence of it is that, that the bundle is more important than the sticks. Yeah. And that it, 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 it really, you're, you're talking about people who are, you know, very uh, sick and predatory priests, but the real problem in the church was not these predatory priests. It was the bishops who, you know, refused to just go to the police and put these, put these people in jail. Rather, and and instead, you know, we're more deeply concerned about avoiding scandal than they were about protecting these children. Well, you know, it, it, the revelation here, and, and you put your finger right on it, is that uh, the issue is the clerical culture and the authority structure of the church. And those bishops protecting the abusive priests instead of the children were uh, really protecting the authority structure. Uh, we don't have to believe that they were indifferent to the crimes of these priests. Uh, they may have been appalled by them, but of uh, far more importance than reporting them to the police or actually dealing in some uh, humane way with the victims, far more important than any of that was making sure that the pyramid of power that is presided over at the top by the Pope and and then by the bishops, and then down uh, through the pyramid, through the clergy, uh, and at the bottom of the pyramid, uh, the laity, and at the bottom of the laity, the children. That pyramid of power is the problem, and that's what's been laid bare here. And, of course, it's over. Uh, I, I think this is a defining revelation of a deep corruption of clericalism, uh, and celibacy is a key pillar of that. But it's not the only one. Uh, you also mentioned uh, the church's attitudes toward women. Uh, the misogyny of Roman Catholicism is another pillar of clericalism. And uh, my own view is that this scandal marks the the beginning of the radical collapse of that structure. Well, you know, you've you've been optimistic about uh, about predicting that this would bring fundamental change of the kind that we that you know that occurred during the Protestant Reformation which was reaction to the indulgences in the church and today we we obviously you know there's as much outrage today over the pedophile scandal worldwide and there's enough tinder there to cause the same kind of reaction but you're more optimistic about the capacity of the hierarchy to change, to, yeah. to change, and I, I, what I, you know, what I see is just people leaving the church. It's true, and and uh, you know, one of the largest uh, religious, religiously identified groups in the United States today are people who call themselves former Catholics. Uh, it's it's an actual. You can actually measure measure it by polls. My, my optimism, my hope uh, in the possibility of change, goes back to the Second Vatican Council. And I believe that what we're living through now is kind of phase two of a massive reformation of the church that began in the 1960s. You referred to the way in which conservatives want to blame the 60s. But, of course, what they've been in reaction to ever since the 1960s is the revolutionary change that began in Roman Catholicism. You know, Bobby, some of the most far-reaching changes in the history of Christianity took place at that council, 
1965, the church renounced forever the Christ-killer slander against the Jewish people, even though that's embedded in the Gospels themselves. Uh, the church affirmed freedom of conscience, the right of people not to be Catholic, uh, the right of people to be uh, religiously free, uh, to follow their own impulses toward God. I mean, these attitudes that were affirmed at the Second Vatican Council were so far-reaching that they generated a reaction. And Pope Paul, Pope John Paul II and uh, Pope Benedict uh, are themselves uh, the uh, two of the chief reactors to this. But the bottom line here is that those revolutionary changes begun in the 1960s are not finished. Um, I would compare it uh, say, to the civil rights movement, what uh, Martin Luther King launched in the 1950s uh, took a couple of decades. Well, let's let's think of the election of Barack Obama as a part of the arc of that narrative. It, it took uh, several, many decades, in effect, uh, for um, the revolution that uh, Martin Luther King initiated to bear the fruit of Barack Obama's presidency. Change like that uh, takes some time, and um, and I believe that's what's going on in the Catholic Church. Well, you know, the um, you, you mentioned Vatican II, and you mentioned the 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 great that revolutionary change that happened because of Pope John the Twenty Third during the nineteen sixties. And in my house, Pope John the Twenty Third was a great hero. There was a sense of companionship between. My uncle John Kennedy, whose administration was coterminous with that of Pope John's, and many people call them the two Johns, the people who were intent on on revolutionizing a- attitudes around the world. And, and what was happening in the church was kind of a religious reflection of what of the, the, the ambitions that my uncle had for our country. Among his closest friends was was Cardinal Cushing who was one of Pope John XXIII's closest allies. Uh, Cardinal Cushing baptized me and most of my brothers and sisters, and he presided over my uncle's funeral in 1963. And he was very close to my family, and he's the person in the church who was mainly responsible for getting the church to drop the uh, the, the, the doctrine that anybody outside of the church was going straight to hell, which was something that we were taught when we were little. It's and true. He, it's he challenged true. that, and he said no. And and he stood up to Father, I think it was Father Feeney. Exactly my father, right. My father also had a huge battle with. My grandmother got angry at him for, for speaking to his priest so disrespectfully. But Father Feeney was coming up to the Boston Commons and, you know, and, and castigating people who were not Catholics and saying they were going to hell and... And I think Cardinal Cushing's brother, brother-in-law, was Jewish, yeah. and he he couldn't imagine that this good man was going to go to hell. So he right. he silenced. Well, he that silenced story, Father Feeney. that story is very much to the point today, Bobby, because it shows you the capacity of this institution to change. Because the truth is that Father Feeney had all the weight of tradition and doctrine on his side, uh, and Cushing was unusual because he tested the doctrine against his effect in the real world. What was really the consequence of it? And he saw that uh, the real world effects of that doctrine meant the doctrine had to change. And that's the same thing that's at work today. The real world consequences of all male uh, clerical culture built around celibacy is resulting in cruelty and denial and dishonesty, and it has to change. Uh, The change Cushing initiated which was affirmed then by the Second Vatican Council a decade later, uh, is a good example of what of what is going on today. And um, I, I myself, tragic and 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 appalling as the revelations coming out country by country, um, I, t- I take all of this as a signal of massive reform. I, I, the other comparison I would make is to the Soviet Union. You know, the last uh, decade of the Soviet Union was comparable to what's going on in Roman Catholicism now, as the lies on which Soviet power were built uh, were one by one stripped away until finally the people living uh, under the uh, heel of the Soviet Empire saw what Vaclav Havel called 
uh, the truth of their situation. And uh, from the grassroots up, the democracy movement, solidarity, and so on, uh, the grassroots pressure on Mikhail Gorbachev uh, is the key factor that led him to dismantle the Soviet Union nonviolently. I used to say we need a, a, a Pope John uh, for the Catholic Church, and now I say we need a Catholic version of Mikhail Gorbachev. Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lift, the baffled king composing You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. You saw her bathing on the roof, her Uh, hey, you recently mentioned on your show that you'd welcome any questions on pretty much anything and that none of them would be considered stupid. So here's my stupid questions. You can see why I automatically fell for this because I'm like, oh, you don't like yourself like me. Right. Um, as an atheist, I frequently find myself getting enraged about the religious people and clergy with their kitty fiddling ways and what have you. But whenever I try to talk about it, I get accused of being just like the zealots with my rantings, to which I quite frankly can't argue because it's subjective how people take it and I'm not sure how to combat this. For example, they'd say, dude, just let them have their religion, etc. We talk about this with PZ Myers uh, in two weeks, so I would listen to that show, A. Um, PZ is a little more diplomatic than I'll be right now, uh, although he's not diplomatic usually. Here's what you say. You're not being a zealot because everything you say is based on fact and that you offending someone who may happen to be religious even if they're not an extremist – is not half as bad as the crimes being carried out by the church. So you offending someone is not as bad as kitty fiddling, as you said. You offending someone isn't as bad as flying planes into buildings, as restricting gay rights, as, you know, restricting women's rights, as... Yeah. Fucking up education, science. I mean, they're fucking up everything. Yeah. And all you want to do is criticize people based on facts. Yeah. You don't have to respect human rights violations. You know? Right. You, it's an American value to respect people's private right to worship. We support that on this show. You should have the right to privately worship whoever you want. What you don't have the right to do, and what the Founding Fathers were very specific in not giving you the right to do, is bringing those crazy beliefs into the public sector where you can harm people's lives. Right. Like, when we're talking about gay rights, we're not talking about an issue or a platform. We're talking about human beings' lives. You're talking about depriving people of the right to liberty, of the right to marry— to to be happy you don't have the right to do that because of an imaginary god that talks to you yeah you know and i mean we kind of want to get to the point you know i mean i was torn on this for a while too because there are people who are religious and it's just like well we should let them do what they want but the problem is religion is so prevalent in our political sphere and affecting the lives of everybody i mean we just talked about it with utah you know even with issues of education now with the texas school books that it really is up to us to the more we come out as atheists, um, the more we want to relegate their silly beliefs that they use to install fear and hatred. We want to relegate them. So we want people to be embarrassed to be like, yeah, I read the fucking the Bible that says the world's 6,000 years old. That actually doesn't say that. But, you know, the people who believe these beliefs, we want them to be embarrassed instead of us to be embarrassed to be like, yeah, we live our life according to facts. Why should we be the bad guys? And if Christians want to keep those beliefs private and go to church and just go to church and not try to get politicians elected and judges appointed and support presidential candidates and they strictly, strictly want to keep their religion in the in the private or in their private lives and a lot of christians actually do advocate that very strongly that they want to keep uh 
religion and the state separate because they're aware that it's dangerous to mingle the two. If you have a state-sponsored religion, that means any other deviation from that is in direct violation of the state. And then you get into all kinds of horrible territory that the Founding Fathers understandably wanted to avoid. Turning to the Catholic Church. Wait, 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 don't change the channel. You don't know what I'm going to say. Might not be about the thing you think it is. Could be a happy Catholic Church story. Maybe the Pope got a new hat. Or put out a new album. Or maybe Jesus came back. And then won't you have feel stupid? Well, maybe it's one of those things. All right, well, let's see what the new development is. Newly released documents show that in the 1990s, when Benedict was the Vatican official in charge of abuse cases, he refused to dismiss Wisconsin priest Lawrence Murphy. Murphy molested as many as 200 young boys at St. John's School for the Deaf from 1950 to 1974. Why did you change the channel when you had the chance? God Give me a little something to clear the vomit from inside my head. Oh. Hey. Very cute. Those kittens lack the capacity to understand the horror of this story. All right, I'm back. Uh, Where were we? Decades-long abuse of deaf children. Continue. The case was briefly reopened until Reverend Murphy wrote to Ratzinger pleading for mercy. I am in poor health. I have repented of any of my past transgressions. Ratzinger ordered the case be dropped. Mother f- Kitty, here, kitty, here, kitty, 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 here. You know what? That's not doing it. What else you got? What else you got? Oh. Oh. It's a man tickling a baby otter. That's nice. Simple. No one's innocence is being destroyed except maybe the otters. All right, all right, we're back. All right, the horrible past is the horrible past. What matters now is the possibility of a better future. So much will depend on how well the Catholic Church, for lack of a better word, atones. Catholic cardinals are rushing to Pope Benedict's defense, raising holy hell over media coverage of a church sex scandal. Their main target, the New York Times. What, you're you're upset about the whole people finding out thing? (laughs) The coverage of the cover? Excuse me, Chuck, I'm being visited by the demons again. Do we have any? Oh, now the otter's playing with the kitten. Oh, oh, and they're both eating some other animal they killed. All right. All right, let's just... It's easy to get caught up in recriminations. Let's not lose sight of who the real victim here is. I received in these days a letter from a Jewish friend. He wrote, I am following with disgust the violent and concentric attack against the church, the use of stereotype, the transferring of the responsibility and personal fault to the collective one remind me of the most shameful aspects of anti-Semitism. Let me get this straight. Being upset with the leaders of the Catholic Church for not doing enough to confront molestation is the same as forcing Jews to wear special clothing and live in ghettos. Injustices that were perpetrated by... The Pope. <laughs> Gee, I wonder if when the, po- when the church was criticized for its anti-Semitism, if they got a letter from a child molester going, hey, dude, I've been there. <laughs> but you know what? These are church underlings. That was just some cardinals and the Pope's personal minister. Uh, the Pope is God's emissary on earth. Only he can be the redeemer and correct past misdeeds by taking the ultimate responsibility. Pope Benedict made a veiled but defiant reference to the crisis. Faith, he said, prevents being intimidated by the petty gossip of dominant opinion. Petty gossip. (laughs) 
evidence of these sexual scandals is, is not petty gossip. Let, let me give you a, a little Vatican petty gossip. Hey, uh, Father Carlucci's robe's getting a little tighter. Yeah, it looks like somebody's been hitting the double-stuffed communion wafers. That. That's petty gossip. Let me contrast that with, hey, remember that guy that molested 200 deaf boys? Yeah, he still works here. For more, we go out to our Vatican bureau chief, Samantha B. Sam, uh, we're, we're just singing one stunning development after another in this mm -hmm. scandal. Mm -hmm. What can you tell us about the church's reaction to this internally? John, they're upset, angry. They just can't believe this witch hunt. <laughs> just, oh. Sam, uh, considering the Catholic Church past, I, I don't know you should be using the phrase witch hunt. Oh, okay, sale, there is. you go again. You know, the liberal media is really torturing the church, putting them on a rack and literally pulling them apart, hoping they'll confess, searing their flesh with red-hot pokers unless they renounce the so-called crimes of their faith. See, no, you, you're, once again, I, you're actually describing the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> The, the Catholic Church itself did exactly what you're saying to non-believers all over Europe. That's... Oh, please. Where'd you get that? The New York Times? No. God, it's like you're all on some kind of crusade. Again, Sam, the, the, the word crusade... Are you trying it, to it... censor me, John? Are my ideas too out there for you? You know, just because you've suddenly found out the world doesn't revolve around you doesn't mean you can shut me up and put me away. That's, you're actually describing what the Catholic Church did to Galileo. That's, that's, that, that's the heliocentric model what are of they? the universe. What are they? The Cathars? <laughs> okay, I actually don't even get that reference. The Cathars, the Gnostic sect in 13th century France? <laughs> I still got nothing there. Tens of thousands of them were massacred under the direct authority of Pope Innocent III, persecuted out of existence by the Catholic Church. Oh, I see. Well, that's what you're doing now. Sam, see, <laughs> if any other organization had done anything close to what the church is being accused of, they'd be done. The church, the, the barely showing any contrition. For God's sakes, look how sorry Domino's was just for their <laughs> pizza. <laughs> They've been out there non-stop. Oh, we're so sorry here. We'll have some crazy bread. I mean... There's a difference, John. People have a choice in where they get their pizza. Okay, the Pope's got his flock by the short and curly. All right, Sam, I think that, again, I'd Sam be everybody. Thanks for listening, everyone. Now we're just a couple of weeks away from the big progressive conference happening in Washington, D.C., June 7th to 9th. And as promised, I just want to keep you a little bit up to date on the things that I know about that will be happening either at the conference or even outside the conference. Maybe you won't be attending, but you'll be in town during that time. So news has broken now that there is going to be a protest on June 7th at the Treasury Department at noon. And this is... Uh, an event actually being spearheaded by the Young Turks, who I know you're familiar with. So I'm just going to let them explain from here. Look, we're ready. We're coming for it. We're coming. June 7th, uh, Monday at noon in Washington, D.C. We're going to go to the Treasury Department and we're going to start a protest to get our money back from Goldman Sachs. Now, why the Treasury Department? Because they're the ones that gave a $13 billion backdoor bailout to Goldman Sachs through AIG. Now, they paid them on side bets. That's exactly what these are. And it, it was not to protect the economy. It didn't go towards a single house or a mortgage or even a package of mortgages. It went to paying off Goldman Sachs for a, a, a bet they made against the chumps at AIG. And if they were such sophisticated investors, Goldman should have known that AIG might go under and they might not get paid. Now, they say they did know and that they had hedged even against AIG. And they said they are, quote, properly hedged and that they didn't need the American taxpayer money. They use that as if that's supposed to convince us. When I hear that, I think, fantastic. Well, then, if you didn't need our money, we'll take it back. So there you go. Noon, June 7th at the Treasury Department. Noon, June 7th at the Treasury Department. Noon, 
June 7th at the Treasury Department. Just a little repetition there to help you remember. And don't laugh. It worked, didn't it? When is it? See? It's going through your head right now. So now I'm going to try to do something a little bit fun. Uh, right after I thank a couple of members, I'm going to uh, not allow the series finale of Lost to go unmentioned on the show, but I'm uh, going to attempt to connect it with coal miners of the Appalachia region. It's going to be fascinating. Stick around for that. Uh, first, though, I want to thank Mark S., who signed up for his monthly membership way back in uh, November, on November 12th, and has been sticking with the show ever since. Huge thanks uh, to Mark for sticking sticking with it, and to Sean S., who uh, signed up for a full-year membership uh, starting on January 22nd. Huge thanks to both of those members and all of the members and donors who make the show possible. Now, I'm not a giant science fiction nerd, but... I'm kind of a sucker for like the epics, so Star Wars series, uh, Lord of the Rings, and uh, and I, then I put Lost in that category. And there's something besides, you know, a little dash of uh, science fiction or fantasy adventure that connects all of these things in my mind. And I love psychoanalyzing myself, and th this is where it comes in very handy. So. The connecting thread for all of these series is that I enjoy them immensely, and in my head there's a tipping point where if I if I like something enough, then I will sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously decide to ignore any flaw that it has. So to put it on like a number scale, if, if I like a, a show or a movie or whatever, like nine out of 10 on, on a totally uh, unemotional scale. I like it nine out of 10. Emotionally, I'll, I'll, I'll bump it up to a 10 and I'll, I'll delude myself into thinking that there is nothing wrong with it at all. It's just, you know, it's fantastic. It's perfect. Everything was exactly the way it should be and, and so forth. And I think what causes this is that when you like something, and especially when you express to others that you like something, you're really investing a part of yourself into it. You take a little bit of who you are and you say, this is part of who I am. I enjoy you know, this. I enjoy this show, this movie, this book, you know, whatever. You say, this is part of me now. And so if if you can look at it unemotionally and you see that the the thing which is a part of you has flaws, then it's it's as if it's reflecting poorly on you personally, which makes people really defensive. And so they will they will you know take these things and emotionally defend them and insist that they're perfect, even when it's blatantly obvious that they're not. And so now I said I was gonna connect lost with coal miners of the Appalachia region. So the connection is that these people, they see their jobs the way almost everybody does as part of who they are. You know, when you ask someone, you know, hey, describe yourself, who are you? A lot of the times they'll start with what they do for a living, what their job is. And so these people who have these incredibly dangerous, dirty jobs that in the, in the bigger scheme of things are really bad for the environment and the world in general in terms of, uh, you know, local pollution and, and global warming. But they see their job as part of who they are and to critique the work they do based on environmental grounds, I mean, or any grounds, safety grounds, anything like that, I, I've seen it firsthand. They take it personally like it's a personal insult to them. And so they end up putting themselves in this incredibly dangerous situation where, you know, obviously we still, we see coal mines exploding or collapsing and people dying in them. You know, we see coal destroying the environment and yet these people will defend their jobs based on the emotional grounds that they feel like they're being attacked personally for it. Because to admit that coal mining is dirty and dangerous and not not worth it, you know, it, it's that it's a net negative impact on the world is to admit that they've been wrong to do what they were doing. So now I don't imagine that a whole lot of coal miners listen to this show. Uh, so to relate it to everybody else, 
I hope you see the point I'm making that you shouldn't allow your emotions to dictate the decisions you make in your life, you know, to, to continue doing what you've always done because you assume that, well, if I've always done it, then it must be okay. If my family has always done it, well, then I don't want to admit that my parents may have been wrong. So if they did this growing up and they taught me to do it, then it must be the way to do it. All I'm saying is just lead a generally reflective life. Look back and just kind of make sure you're on the right track in whatever you're doing, any any aspect of life. So for me, you know, I am so critical of so many things in this world and, and generally try to think critically about everything in the world that I need, I so much need a reprieve from that, that what I do is kind of what I said. I Occasionally I will find, you know, a show or a movie or whatever and not criticize it. I'll find, I, I like it a lot and then I'll take it over the top from liking it to not criticizing it at all. And I give myself this false impression that there's something perfect in the world that, that I can kind of hang on to. Like, uh, you know, everything's totally jacked up, but at least, at least this one little thing is, you know, perfect. And when it comes to TV shows and, and movies and things like that, that's just entertainment, that's totally harmless. But in, in the bigger things that we do, the what we do with our lives, what we do for, you know, a job, how we run our families, how we uh, interact with each other and talk with each other. That's where things can really make a difference. And that is where I hope I don't allow myself to assume that I'm doing the right thing. And, and you know, I, I really try to be reflective in how I, you know, look back at myself and, and you know, make sure I'm doing things the right way and and that I'm on the right track, and that moving forward, I do things deliberately, thinking about what I want to do and how I want to do it, and making sure that it's appropriate and all of those sorts of things. So I realize that all of that sounds kind of vague, and you know, I really mean for it to be vague because that type of thinking can be applied anywhere. I just really think more than anything, we all owe it to ourselves to make sure that we are on the best of all possible paths that we could have picked for ourselves. So that's going to do it for today. Please continue to support the show by telling everyone you know about it. Stay connected to the show between episodes and spread the word about the show online via Facebook and Twitter. For details on the show, including links to the sources and music used in this and every episode, everything like that is posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. The black and white took a part of picture that wasn't Hi there, it's Mike. Here's another unsolicited moment for the podcast listeners. Some things have changed since I sent my first message to Jay. The main change? More podcasts. Ten a month. And there's the iPod apps, the bonus clips divided into different categories for the subscribers. And now Jay has made this podcast his full-time job. Plus, Jay won the Best Produced Podcast of the Year Award. By using the Amazon link on the Best of the Left podcast site, you can contribute with every purchase you make at reduced prices on just about every thing. At Amazon, you can buy music, downloads, furnish your apartments, fill up your cupboards with linens, food, computer supplies, appliances, and on and on and on. Not just the Amazon DVDs and books. In fact, it's hard to name anything that you can't buy at Amazon. And you're contributing at the same time without paying a penny more. Now, my Social Security retirement check doesn't allow for much shopping, but I still manage to make sure Jay has my $5 subscription month after month. It's great to know that even on a meager income, I'm making a big difference in our world, keeping the best of the left podcast going and growing and ensuring progressive concepts are introduced, heard, and passed on. 
I'm proud to be a part of that, and you will be too. Do your part. Do what you can. Thanks.